Welcome to a healthy bite. You're one nibble closer to a more satisfying way of life, a healthier you, and bite-sized bits of healthy motivation. Now let's dig in on the dish with Rebecca Huff. This episode of A Healthy Bite is sponsored by Pure Organic, the folks helping us take a sweeter bite out of life. With Pure Organic Stevia, I'm able to create desserts such as my low-carb salted caramel peanut crunch chocolate bars. What do we love about Pure's Organic Stevia? No calories, no sugar, and never anything artificial. That's because Pure takes the highest quality non-GMO stevia leaves from organic plants to make their sweeteners while avoiding chemicals, additives, and artificial processes. We recently tried and loved the new Pure Organic Sugar-Free Baking Mixes. If you don't have time to make brownies or cookies from scratch, you can still make your own baked goods with minimal prep work. Their sugar-free chocolate chip cookie mix and sugar-free brownie mix are keto-friendly and gluten-free. Find Pure products at pureorganic.com. That's P-Y-U-R-E-O-R-G-A-N-I-C.com. Hey, it's Rebecca, and on this episode of A Healthy Bite, I am here with Adita Lang. She is a fitness instructor, and she holds a bachelor's degree in holistic nutrition, along with a lot of other qualifications. Um, <laughs> Adita is on a mission to inspire families to live life with their true potential in the forefront, a mission that I am completely on board with. I love it. Adita is the author of Superpowers, A Busy Woman's Guide to Health and Happiness, and Superpowers of the Family Kitchen, which I have been reading and I absolutely love. And I immediately knew that we were going to jive when I read the story about your son going to the birthday uh, party and asking if he had a cake, because I have a very similar story on my website. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I've been in health and wellness for over 30 years. Um, I was, I've been pretty blessed in my career. I started off basically training personal trainers and group exercise instructors and created a lot of the fitness programs that are out there today. And, but with that, then, you know, I did the settling in thing and got married and had two kids and, you know, got all involved in that. And when I did that, I kind of realized that my life got too crazy and I didn't feel like you know, I made fun privately, of course, but I made fun of a lot of my clients when they'd come to me with stains on their shirts and they couldn't make it to an appointment on time. And I'm like, what's the problem? And, and they would say, you know, kids, husband, life. And I just didn't get it. And then, of course, when I had kids, husband, life, I was like, whoa, this is crazy. So I started making some changes for myself. And as I started feeling better, friends of mine were like, hey, we want to be what, what you're on because this is different. And that's where the first book came in, Superpowers, A Busy Woman's Guide to Health and Happiness, because I wanted to teach women that it's, you can easily, seamlessly put these things into your day today, even though you may have a really crazy day today, but there's certain things that you got to do for yourself, because the stronger and more empowered you are, then it's easier to motivate and inspire everybody else around you. So that yes. was real important yeah. to me. Um, and then, of course, when I had kids, and I was seeing what these parents were giving kids as food, and I'm like, Oh my God. And here my kid, my son goes with his little lunchbox and in his lunchbox, I got to be honest, it's probably $20 worth of food because I wanted to make sure he had little snack packs because everybody else has snack packs, but my snack packs had ingredients that, you know, I approved of. And so I had this whole thing going on. And then all of a sudden parents would say to me, Hey, um, your son keeps giving my daughter roasted seaweed. What is that? Can I try that? Uh, why, why do you not do goldfish? Can you let me know that? 
So I kept running into this and I was like, okay, this is crazy because it's not that complicated. So I, previous to this, I was, I have a course for personal trainers um, called Nutritional Coach and it certifies personal trainers to teach food-based nutrition. So I took that course and I tweaked it and put the mom spin on it. And I said, okay, now we have a course for moms. And so that course is called Nutritional Brilliance. And that course is sold at school as kind of like a PTA fundraiser to teach parents how to feed their kids and to, for parents to start to understand that, yes, your child is going to act differently if they are on a sugar high than if you have them well satiated and well fed. I had a, a principal actually one time come up to me and she goes, Adita, she goes, I've got to tell you the story. And I'm like, what? She's like, well, my teachers, my son's teachers were telling me that I probably should get him checked out for ADHD, that he's really rambunctious and they really can't control him. And after listening to you speak a couple of times, I changed his breakfast. And so the other day the teacher called me up and said, hey, did you start medicating your son? Because he's a different kid. And she was like, no, I just changed his food. And what was happening was she was making him, I mean, all heart intended in there. She was making him homemade cinnamon rolls every morning for breakfast. And I changed it over to eggs and avocado and his demeanor completely changed. So just to understand that. So it became really important for me to share that with people because I don't want to see these kids like not learning and being drugged up with all sorts of different things when it's something as simple as let's change their food. That's yeah. that simple. Adita, there's so many things that you just said that stimulated so many more things inside of my head. Uh, <laughs> it's all so relatable. Yes, I'm so thankful for what you're doing in schools and with your son. I experienced the same thing. I feel like I have a, you know, I'm living this parallel life with you here. When I sent my son to school, I did the same thing with a lunchbox. He had hummus and he had cucumbers and he had all this stuff. And I would constantly be getting questions from the teachers, from the other parents. Yeah. Um, my son was constantly explaining what was in his lunchbox. People would say, what is that? And he would be like, what do you mean? What is this, <laughs> this is food? Hello, this is food. So then he started actually it kind of got out of control a little bit. He started telling kids what they were eating was going to cause them diabetes. And then I started oh, getting wow. in trouble with the teachers and I'm like, okay, honey, we're going to have to tone it down a little bit. But I mean, <laughs> honestly, you know, when you teach your kids the truth about, you know, too much of this is definitely leading you down a path towards type two diabetes. I mean, I have always tried to be carefully upfront with my kids, but yeah, I can relate to so many things you're saying. I just, Honestly, I love what you're doing so much. So what you said, it is doable. So how do parents go about becoming their family's food coach? Well, I mean, I think that first and foremost, they have to understand food because, you know, we, were ne we weren't given an instruction manual. That's challenge number one. It would be great if we were, but what we've done is we've created habits that our parents gave us, their parents gave them, our best friend gave us, and we created what we think is good. Um, I think the first thing that I like to teach people is that sugar is no longer just sugar. It's sugar, flour, dairy, and of course for the adult alcohol. And you really only want zero to one sugar per meal and snack. So what does that mean? If you're going to have a sandwich, for example, you got to choose. Do you want bread or cheese? Because too many sugars, then we become addicted. And what I think parents don't understand is that old adage of let me make mac and cheese for my kids that's going to end up leading to a sugar addiction. Even if though you say, oh, but that's not candy. 
but it's how your body interprets it. So your body's treating it as a sugar. Right. So this is actually one of the questions I had for you. So let's, let's pause there for a moment because I want you to explain dairy in its uh, relation to how it, meta you know, how it metabolizes in the body. It, it, people see it in the food group and they're like, oh, calcium, strong bones, da, da, da. So tell me your take. Explain dairy to people. Okay, so one of the first things, as I was mentioning, was about sugars. So it's sugar, flour, dairy, and of course for the adults, alcohol. All mm -hmm. of those things break down and metabolize as a sugar. Mm -hmm. And kind of understand that because unfortunately what we do is we're giving our kids too many sugars. And, and, and this goes for adults. And then what happens is then weight gain appears from there. And of course with kids, when they have too many sugars, they can't mm -hmm. focus. They metabolize those things kind of quickly, but then they lose their focus and they're looking around. So we want to make sure that we're feeding everybody in a way that satiates them. So for kids that are going to school, for example, their breakfast should be high protein, high fat, because they're not going to have a chance to snack or go to the refrigerator if they're hungry. They're in mm -hmm. class and they got to focus. So right. because of that, we want to make sure they're satiated until lunchtime. On the other hand, if a kid is at home, and it's the summertime. Well, if they had a bowl of cereal and milk, it wouldn't be as bad because then when they're hungry again, they can go find something to eat. It's not like they have to focus so intently. So we want to make sure that we address these things when we're choosing the right foods for our family. So I'm always talking, and I do this with my kids as well. My kids know that they need protein with everything. So it's kind of like they'll say, oh, can I have these chips? And I'm like, well, where are you going to get the protein from? You know, and they'll go, oh, but there's hummus in the refrigerator. Great. Then pull that out. Let's do it. So they, I've already kind of like trained and instilled that in them. And, I, and they know now that if they eat something somewhere and they were starving afterwards, it's probably because there wasn't enough protein. Right. Now, so you, you talk about dairy. And I wanted you to explain um, to us about dairy as a food group and some of the misconceptions and misunderstandings there are about dairy in relation to calcium um, and just which food group most dairy products, I know there are some exceptions, but most dairy products fall into a food group that it's not actually, can you explain, you understand where I'm I, going with this? I know exactly where you're going with this. Okay, so first and foremost, you get more calcium from a glass, from, from a handful of almonds or a cup or a, a serving of broccoli than you do actually milk. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, milk in the United States is pasteurized. So what that means is that it's heated up in really high temperatures, and then all of the digestive enzymes and a lot of the good qualities of milk disappear, and then a scientist comes back in and puts it in. For whatever reason, the medical industry promotes milk and dairy products as a protein. But unfortunately, your body breaks it down and metabolizes it as a sugar. It doesn't treat it as a protein. It treats it as a sugar. So, so dairy, and, and I, I see this in my practice all the time, dairy is the hardest thing for me to get away from somebody's diet. It's like the most addictive thing because it breaks down as a sugar. What happens when we have sugars? We have this little chemical reaction in the back of our brain that makes us feel comforted, like, oh, relaxed. So we gravitate to it. And so that's typically a lot of people, they gravitate to cheese. I actually just now a few minutes ago, I did a workshop at a, at a corporation and I saw everybody, it was a lunch and learn. So I saw everybody, you know, serving their food and, the, and you get to the cheese section, people are putting big spoonfuls of cheese on their food. And, and so then when I gave my presentation, I said, listen, cheese should be like a seasoning. You would never take and scoop a big cupful of oregano and put it on your food. <laughs> Right. And they all looked at me and I was like, yes, because it's, it's a sugar. So you use it as a seasoning. Mm -hmm. You 
sprinkle a little bit on a salad as a seasoning, but don't sprinkle it on a salad thinking that that's your protein source. Mm-hmm. Because it's not. It's going to break down and metabolize quickly, and you're going to be starving, and then you're going to require more calories. So and consider it more as a garnish. Absolutely, yes. I'm not going to lie. I love some cheese. <laughs> But I do, um, so I do really like raw cheeses that haven't been pasteurized. I try to get them locally. What are your thoughts about that? That's a different animal. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm in South Florida, so a lot of my clients are from Argentina and Venezuela and Colombia. And so they were actually raised on raw dairy. They drank Mm -hmm. raw milk, raw cheese. That's a completely different animal because that has the digestive enzymes. It has its nutrients, its original source of nutrients. So your body will break down and digest it completely differently. Okay, perfect. That's that's good. Well, good to know. Um, So you had a chapter that I absolutely loved in your book. I think it's on page 99 or something like that. But the chapter is all about creating a family food plan that's not like a traditional diet. Yes. Can you tell me what you call this? Explain it to us. I call it a live it because it's about living. And, you know, these are, you know, us as parents, we're creating the health foundation for our children for what their health is going to look like when they're 50. And it's really hard to conceptualize that when you're looking at a five-year-old playing with crayons on the floor, that you're actually creating their health for when they're a 50-year-old. But that's what we're doing. So we got to make sure that the foundation is solid. And food, you know, one of the things I teach about food is food is fuel. It's not comfort, socialization, or the thing you do when you break up with a mate. And by no means is it a reward. I went to a client recently, and she was like, you have to talk to my daughter. She's gaining weight. And I go in there, and I'm kind of talking to her a little bit. And all of a sudden, the mother said something about taking her to pizza because she passed the test. And I'm like, no, that's step number one. It's not a reward. Take your daughter out to get her nails done. Have a mom-daughter experience that she can talk about for years. But don't use food because the food experience will disappear within an hour. So if you want an experience, if you want to do something good for something, make it something substantial like that. Um, So when you're putting together your family food plan, it's about being able to recognize where your sugars are coming from and and teaching your children that they got to make choices. If they want the cheese on the sandwich, then maybe you don't want the bread. Wrap it up in a lettuce wrap instead. You know, start to make these choices. And if you're going to have the sandwich, then do you really want the dessert? Or which one do you want? Do you want the dessert instead? Well, then if you're going to have the dessert, then let's do some chicken vegetables for, for lunch. You know, and making those kind of quality choices. Because we're now, from a little kid, we're teaching them to then be on their own for college. And what are they going to do in college? And so we're giving them the foundation for how they're going to make their choices in college. And then, of course, as an adult. Yeah, it's a lot. And I think um, part of the problem is that parents really a lot of times aren't sure exactly what to do. And so I appreciate that you put in your book a section on interpreting food labels. And this is something that I've found as well when I go um, grocery store coaching, as I call it. Um, so what do you find is the most common misconception or misunderstanding when it comes to people and nutrition facts and packaging claims? Okay, so, so first off, if you're going to buy a food with a food label, it should not be the main staple of food in your kitchen. So food label food is like snack food or emergency food, but it's never the main staple. The second thing is, is and this is something that my, my first nutrition teacher taught me, if you can't pronounce it and you don't know what it is, don't eat it. Because then you know it's filled with fillers and everything. You want to be able to really identify all the ingredients that are in the food label. 
Then there's a couple of other things. So if something is less than 10% of the ingredients, they don't have to tell you it's in there. So things like MSG can be in your food and you didn't know. Um, there's a lot of things that can be in your food. Then on the same note, if something is, if, as long as 30% of the ingredients are organic, they can write organic on the outside of the package. So, you know, I always tell my groups, I go, listen, there are, there are these scientists that are responsible for colors. What color should I make this packaging to make it seem appealing? Then there's somebody else who's in charge of what photograph should we put on the packaging? Then there's somebody else in charge of words. What words should we put on that packaging to make the person want to buy it? You know, and I have some examples in some of the presentations that I do of like there's an immune boosting Rice Krispie cereal that has immune boosting on it, right? And it makes you believe you're buying something good. They have Cheetos that say natural on it, you know? And of course the packaging is different. But natural soda. It's all the same. And so these are things you gotta look at, especially when we're trying to feed our family. Agreed. Yeah, I, I really appreciated that section. I thought you really did a good job of explaining it. So parents, if you're listening and you're wanting to learn more about, you know, teaching your children, I am a huge advocate for learning to read labels and teaching your kids. That's something that I've done all of my life and it comes second nature to your kids once you start doing that. And you can learn together, right? And I think it's a great place for parents to start. But I want to back up to something you were talking about when we were talking about moms and dads becoming the food coach for their family. Let's talk a little bit more about kids and emotional eating. So can you give us a few tips or guidelines for parents when they notice your child maybe is putting on a little weight and they are emotional eating? Well, you know, and, and again, I think that what we need to remember, like I always tell parents that I'm not going to work with a child in a weight issue, like because it's not the child's fault. It has to do with what's in the kitchen. And so a child is really not responsible for it until they're buying their own food. So that's one thing to kind of keep in mind. Then when it comes to the emotional eating part, a lot of that we're teaching them. You know, we, we teach kids about, you know, dieting. The, you know, the mother who diets 12 times a year, you know, she's teaching the daughter that, oh my God, there's a fat and I need to diet and I need to count my calories and all this kind of stuff. That We're teaching these things. They watch us and they hear things that we don't even realize they listen to. So that's the first person we got to check in with is ourselves. And then from there, we got to start working it, you know, something again, as simple as passing an exam, we don't take them out for pizza dinner. We create something that they really want to go do. We take them to that movie they want to go see. We do something different because the food things don't always work. I remember one time with my son, it was Valentine's Day and I was kind of tired of these candy parties they'd have at school. So I said, you know what? I'm going to take care of Valentine's Day. So I made the dough that you make with um, flour and salt so that you can make like ornaments with it. And I did, I went to the kids class a few days beforehand and I made everybody's hand imprint. And then I baked them and I brought them back to school for Valentine's day. We had fruit and we had these, this project. And so they painted up their hands they put, they wrapped it up. They did this whole thing for their parents and they took that. And I got messages about that Valentine's Day for literally a year where parents would be like, my son still talks about his little handprint and we stick his hand in it. And, it, and, I, and I said to, to one lady at one point, I said, listen, I said, that's why I did that. Because a candy party, the thought of a candy party basically leaves a child's head within, you know, a day. 
But when they make something and they really create something, that's going to last a lifetime. And that's what you want. You want to create experiences and experiences that don't necessarily have to revolve around food. Mm-hmm. Well, we're living in a candy culture and I, I can get on my soapbox about that. And we're heading into the holidays um, where candy is handed out at the door, at the school, at everywhere you go. So, you know, as we were wrapping this up, kind of what would you suggest for parents? You have maybe on your website some alternatives for Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas and things like that. I know you have some great recipes in the back of your book. Thank you. Thank you. And I, and I, you know, I have a lot of, uh, I have several different um, articles that's on my blog as well, but you know, it, it's about, again, what you teach them. So what did I do? I kind of started off, I had some friends that went to Waldorf school and to me, that one was the brilliant, that was absolutely brilliant because my girlfriend's daughter, um, her teacher read this beautiful story about sugar sprites and sugar sprites collect candy for their babies and they leave you with a shell or a natural thing. And so you're supposed to get as much candy as you can, stick it under your bed, and then you are left with a natural treasure, which I thought was beautiful. That now, is. right after I heard this entire story, I go to my kid's school for something that day. And it was like a few days before Halloween. And I see the teacher, she might as well have been a cheerleader. And she was saying, get as much candy as you can. These are my favorite candies. This is so much fun. And she was on and on and on. And I was like, oh, wow. Wow. So with my kids, I would take them out trick-or-treating. We collect as much candy as we can. And then we give it back out at the door. We handed it to everyone that came to our door afterwards. <laughs> That's what we do. And, and they get to choose. And we've done this now. I mean, listen, my son's 13 now. We still do it. They choose two candies. That's what they get to choose. And everything else, we give it to everybody else that comes to our door. Wow. And that's how we do it. And we've always done it that way. So to my kids, that's what sounds normal, right? But again, it's because that's how I led it. So it has to do with us, the parents. How are we going to deal with this? You know, I also get little boxes of raisins. I've got like all sorts of like, you know, little organic candies and raisins. And I got, I, we give away pencils and we give away erasers and stickers. And a lot of times it's very funny because there's this little group of kids that's been coming to my house for God knows how long. And they're excited because they collect the pencils and the erasers because they like them for school. That's sweet. Yeah, yeah, I love the idea of an alternative to candy because let's face it, whether you give it to them or not, some other people are going to. Yeah. Um, but I have to say again, you know, and I think you've done this with your family, just like I have, I didn't bring these things into my house. Yeah. I know a lot of times other moms can feel judged. And so it's something I always feel like is kind of a gray area when I go to talk about it. But yeah, the reason my kids don't eat candy bars and bubble gum and all of the candies is because I just don't bring it in my house. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, and I think also that it's like, I never wanted to be, I, my mother was really bizarre. So I never wanted to be that mom that was like, don't touch that or you can't eat that. Right. So no, what, you let them my, whole, my whole philosophy is that in my house, I call it sanctuary. So mm -hmm. in my house, it's sanctuary. We eat a certain way. We have certain kinds of snacks, whatever. But now if my kid goes to, you know, the next door neighbor's house and has something, it's fine because it's once in a blue moon and that's it, right? And so that's right. how I go with things. And fortunately for me, a lot of these kids that come over to my house, because I love having the kids at the house, they like our snacks. 
And I get them in the kitchen. Like a lot of times when my daughter has a bunch of friends, I'll be like, hey guys, I'm going to make some, you know, some raw cookies. You want to help me? And they'll be like, sure, we'll make them. And we put goji berries and mulberries in there and oats and almond butter. And we do this whole thing and we roll them up in coconut. And they're like, this thing is really yummy. Then they end up going to their mom going, mom, I made this thing. And it's like really yummy. And then the mom calls me. She's like, what did you make? And why is it raw? Why did we not have to bake it? You know, but it's just trying to create some different, you know, flavors for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Um, I am the same way. My kids know that at home, this stuff isn't going to be available. But if we went to a birthday party or whatever, and it was available, that is up to them to choose. And I have to say, you know, nine times out of 10, they might take a bite or two out and then they're done they know how it makes them feel. And so it's not, it's not from a fear, a place of fear. It's a place of knowledge that they choose. Well, and and my kids do the exact same thing. It's, it's kind of comical. We were actually at a birthday party not that long ago and and they gave my daughter this enormous piece of cake. And I was just like, Oh, let's see how this turns out. She literally took two bites and she's like, mom, it's really sweet. I don't want any more. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. Yeah. Right. Because her taste buds, her palate is conditioned to not overindulge in sweets. Yeah. Yeah. Great job. Well, Adita, thank you so much for being on a healthy bite today. I love talking to you and I just, I loved your book and I enjoyed your website. So thank you very much. I really appreciate what you're doing and all of the wellness programs that you have going on. So if you guys are listening, make sure you check out um, Adita's website, which is it's aditalang.com, A-D-I-T-A-L-A-N-G.com. Right, because I, you have I, you have tons of stuff there. You work yeah. in corporate, um, you do wellness programs in all different places. And I do a lot of coaching. I do a lot of Skype coaching. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty much involved in just about everything. I've got YouTube videos that go up. I do some stuff on Facebook and Instagram and all that, too. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Adita. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review so other people can learn about this podcast. Find out more about sleep, hygiene, eating healthy, tasty recipes, zero-waste lifestyle, and lots more on thatorganicmom.com. Help us spread the word. Be blessed and stay healthy.